Hi, I'm Leah Lane, an award-winning travel writer and author of Places I Remember, Tales, Truths, Delights from 100 Countries. On this podcast, we share conversations with travelers about fascinating destinations and memorable experiences around the world. So it happens to be our first anniversary of Places I Remember, and I've heard from listeners with questions about me. It's been a great year. We are now in 110 countries, 2,000 cities. We've won awards. I'm even on a radio streaming network, and I just love it. But to celebrate, I thought I'd turn the tables and get interviewed myself. And who better than my sons? My oldest son, Randall, is chief content officer of Forbes Media. You heard about some of his exploits in episodes 15 and 14. And my younger son, Carrie, is an artist, professor, and museum curator. His latest exhibition is Concentration Camps. It's virtual from the Kupferberg Holocaust Center in Queens, New York. Anyway, they'll make very good interviewers. Let me first ask you, though, we've been on some fun family trips, and I just wanted to talk a little bit about what makes a good family trip. Do you have any suggestions on that in terms of what you liked when we were traveling? Well, we went to Miami a lot because that's where family was. And every day there was an activity or an adventure. Like even if we were just doing the same things in the day, there was something at night, or if we were doing something in the day, maybe we'd hang out at night. But I always felt like every day there was something to look forward to. I try to do that now with my own kids. Yeah, I think it's always nice to have something to look forward to. And I think compromise is one of the things to think about. Something that you might enjoy as an adult might not be something that a child would enjoy as much. So you want to plan it maybe and and uh, leave some surprises. Keep your sense of humor as well. What do you think, Carrie? I think having a mother who is a travel writer is a really different and cool thing when you're growing up. When your friends are doing conventional things or conventional travel, it's it was a really fun thing to be exposed to different cultures and different foods and different experiences at an early age. And I think that certainly helped shape our outlook in terms of as we got older, in terms of our embracing diversity and things like this. I hope so. I, I certainly tried when I traveled to come back with some recipes that were interesting that maybe you didn't like so much when you were little, but I think both of you are foodies now, so it probably helped. When yeah, something- like when our friends were feeding Wonder Bread and chicken nuggets, we were, you know, eating couscous out of a tagine, you know, so I think there's <laughs> there's, there's value in that. I hope so. Well, we went on some interesting trips. One one of the earliest, which you remember maybe a tiny bit, I know Rand does, was to Iceland uh, when we were living in England. We went there through Iceland. Iceland Air was giving a big deal, a big promotional deal. You could go to Iceland in the 70s for free for a couple of days because nobody was going there. I had never thought of going there. It was on our way to Luxembourg. So we stopped over there and it was like going to the moon. There were no tourists and very few hotels and it was really something else and you were very young but Rand remembered one thing what was the thing you remembered from Iceland Rand that you've talked about since well I remember looking down a giant pit in the hell basically uh which in retrospect was a geyser but when you're that just looked like infinity and like the, like you said the most magical and I'm not sure scary or fantastical, but it was, you know, that's one of my, if not my earliest memory. Right. You've talked about the bubbling mud. That was the thing you kept 
talking about that when I said, what do you remember? And I think when you're low to the ground, you remember the ground, right? You don't look up as much. That later that year, we all went to Spain and Portugal, and we stayed in Paradors and Pusadas, which are gorgeous government-run lodgings. They were. Now they're privately owned. But they were in castles and hotels. And I remember you guys hated it. You wanted to stay in motels. And we didn't compromise on that one. Some some things. You wanted a pool, I'm sure. You know. Yeah, you wanted a pool. It was a pool and air conditioning. (laughs) Yeah, I don't blame you on the air conditioning, but these were gorgeous places with moats and all kinds of things. But you said not another castle. I remember that was really funny. And (laughs) another another trip that I remember very vividly was a trip to Scandinavia. I've talked about this one a lot, and I've written about it when we were in a. VW Pop Top Camper. We camped all around. And one time we were going in the Norwegian fjords and we went up to the harbor and we got on the ferry and then we came back and we were getting off the ferry, except three of us didn't get off. Your father got off, but the three of us were, I would think I was tying your shoes and, and the ferry left and your father was left on the ground and we were going away and they wouldn't come back. So we went all the way around the fjord and I didn't know if I'd ever see him again because he didn't know what happened. And that, that was, was really and that was before cell phones, right? That was before cell phones. I had no diapers, no money. I had nothing with me. So the captain of the ferry gave you some candy. You had a good time because you thought you were just having a little trip with candy, but I was scared. I thought I'd be a homeless lady in Oslo for the rest of my life with two children. But yay, your dad was in the, at the harbor when we came back. So that was a memory I will not forget. So let's see. What about ski trips? We went on some interesting ones. We were supposed to go on one to Austria when you were very little and we were living in London and we didn't go for a very strange reason. We were going to have a nanny come with us to kind of help take care of you. And we were all set to go, but she at the last minute said she could not go. And why was that? Because her mother couldn't find her eyeball. That's exactly what she said. I said, what do you mean? She said, well, she was looking for my passport and she, her eyeball fell out. It was a prosthetic eyeball. And she can't find it. So she can't find my passport. So we canceled the trip. I do remember that as one of the oddest situations I've ever been in. And our Olympic skiing career went not learning at a young age, went downhill from there. It went history, downhill. Do you rem- history was changed that day. Do you remember New Jersey? Do you remember when we tried yeah. to ski? I remember New Jersey. And what I remember is there, there was a Playboy club in the Vernon Valley <laughs> lodge or something and i think you had worked out a deal with the playboy club and here was randall and i pre-teens in the playboy club having après ski or something like that and uh, that was sort of interesting and that's sort of we got a hint of like what your career was about it was <laughs> what do you yeah, remember? <laughs> I, I don't rem- I don't remember the skiing so much as as the Playboy Club. Oh, I remember the skiing. Do you re- do you remember it, Rand? <laughs> yeah, it was they pretty just bad. Took us to the top and said, "Go down." Right. I, actually, that that ski resort was the same place where Action Park was. You know, Vernon Valley, Great Gorge, and they've since made a documentary about that place about how little rules and regulation there was there, which uh, I think was fitting because I remember them just say, okay, you're ready. And we went to the top and they're like, okay, we didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know what we were doing. I thought that first time skiing that the way you're supposed to stop is to fall. You just either <laughs> skiing or falling. Right, we went straight. 
I think like I was on a chairlift and I saw Rand flying down the hill and I, he was doing so, I thought he was doing so well for, for, for a beginner, but it was at, he was out of control. Right. Um, but, but, but it didn't look like he was out of control from the chairlift, but nothing, nothing has changed, you know, no, <laughs> no, I, I think actually I remember on the chairlift, we fell off the chairlift. I remember that we just fell off of it. And then we went straight down, straight down. And I remember stopping when I hit somebody, it was awful. That was our first ski trip. In yeah, and it was, it was, Jersey, it was, Jersey is not Austria. Not, not, <laughs> right. and I, and it wasn't exactly fluffy powder either. It was a lot of, a lot of ice. Uh, so when you fell, it, it you, you knew it. <laughs> right. And, and then we got a little bit better. I remember Rand wrote a postcard to his grandmother. Do you remember what you said on the postcard about our <laughs> skiing trip? You sort of summed up our abilities. I, I, I remember. Carrie and I were doing well and, you guys were not doing as well. <laughs> right. You said you stink. <laughs> well, we were taller than you. It's harder when you're taller. Anyway, ski trips are Mom fun for a family. <laughs> and then you guys got really good and you went on the black diamonds. And it's a good thing to go on a family trip like that because children can learn how good they can be. And it's a very interesting experience when that as you, get, as you get older, you need to, you know, you need to push, especially teenagers, right? And I have two teenagers now, of course, and you need to push them a little to keep them engaged. They can't do the same things. I think you guys, you and mom, you did that with us and it was good. And I, you know, what the thing I like about skiing and ski trips a lot for kids. And I, I mean, it's a lifelong skill that if you don't learn when you're younger, it's very hard as you and dad demonstrated. And <laughs> yes, yes. Especially he did because he was six, five. <laughs> so it was hard. He's farther from the ground. We'll give him that. Now, do you remember the trip? I took with you to Italy. We we went as a family. It was a budget trip and we did it last minute in the summer. And do you really, I don't know if you remember why we did it, but I had a purpose in mind, Rand. Do you remember what that was? You were trying to keep me off the football team. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you never said that, but I, I figured it out years later. Yeah. Well, now, it was now a good I don't trip. have, now I don't have concussion related injuries. So, exactly. You know, plus, that was... plus I know, plus I know Italy better. So exactly. That was what I was thinking. Do you guys remember what you were doing mostly on that trip? Eating, eating, <laughs> eating. Yes. <laughs> and you were looking at bell towers and climbing them because <laughs> you guys didn't want to go in the museum. So we were very flexible. We said, okay, stay by the bell tower. You can climb it and feed the pigeons and we'll go in the museum it worked out okay. I don't know today if I would do that, but it worked very well. And you were happy and we were happy and you had a lot of gelato. Do you remember the type you like, Carrie? I remember we used to say it afterwards, the flavor. Yeah, uh, a cantalope. Cantalope, yeah. exactly. And that's when you like, uh, we discovered that food can be good, really, really good. Ice cream can actually taste like the flavor was meant to be. And you can get a really good meal at a, at a one-star hotel and for Randall and I, we sort of, our culinary sense was awoken, you know, with, with uh, such wonderful flavors of Italy, you know. I think so. I think travel can open you to so many things, and one of them is food. So it's a, a pleasure. Now, through the years, we've had family reunions, big birthdays in different places. We've met in Sarasota and New Hampshire. Carrie, we recently took a trip. I, I'm talked about it in episode 18 with you to France and Belgium to see the World War One and Two sites. And then there are trips that go beyond the immediate family. There are grandma trips. I've taken 
Sabrina, my granddaughter, to Paris. I've taken my granddaughter, Chloe, to Los Angeles. And these are fun. This is a wonderful way to bond. And a lot of people like to go on trips that are planned. A lot of places, a lot of tours now have grandparents trips, but I'm going to recommend to do it on your own because you get to stay and spend more time with the grandchild. It's a, it's a wonderful experience. It's important when you're young, if you want to have a global outlook, you got to see the world. I think people who traveled when they were young, who are the ones who wind up engaging with the world when they're older. It's not a hundred percent, but I, obviously it's a way, big head start. Right. It, it whets your appetite for sure. Now I didn't start traveling till I was 22 on my honeymoon actually. So it came late for me. What would you like to ask me since you're interviewing me? Go for it, Carrie. Well, well, why don't you tell us about the genesis of your interest in travel? Is this uh, even before you traveled? Is this something you thought about? Well, I didn't travel much at all. And that's probably one of the things that, because I read a lot, I was a curious little girl. I would read about Heidi in Switzerland and Pippi Longstocking and all these children all over the world. And I'd see pictures of beautiful mountains. I lived in Florida. It was flat and it seemed so exciting and exotic. So I, I really always dreamed of traveling and didn't get to st- start till I was on my honeymoon, as I mentioned, when I was 22 years old. And that really did it because we drove around for two months in Europe. And boy, oh boy, did I get the travel bug on that one. Just wonderful, amazing things. I'll never forget it. When you're young, it all seems so romantically, superbly fabulous. It's It's a special feeling. So I think as you're older and you know more and you're a little bit less I would say naive, perhaps, you can't quite match that. So it's nice to start young. But if you don't, if you start at any point, it's a wonderful thing. The first time is wonderful. I guess I was just reading a lot about it at first. and that's- How did you then translate that into a career? I mean, how did you turn that love as a tourist to becoming a travel writer? Right. Well, I was a writer. You know, I, I was doing all sorts of writing. And at some point, I realized that people were actually making a living writing about travel. They weren't making a lot of money, but they were having the most uh, enriching life. And so I realized since I was a stay-at-home mom for a long time, I was a freelance writer and was at home. I thought, well, I can't have probably a career in, you know, nine to five so easily later in my life. But when you guys got a little bit older, and I was able to do it, I started to do travel writing. I did it locally at first. And then, of course, if you do it well, people will notice it and um, and you keep doing it. And it's just wonderful. And that's how I got to see so many places. When you guys were grown up in college and so forth, I was really uh, going there. I was divorced at the time and traveling all the time. And I just loved it. I had a lot of energy. I think if you do it early, take advantage of it. Don't wait too long. If you have the opportunity, do the hard things first, because later on, it isn't so easy that that works. And so it just became something I loved. It was always something I enjoyed doing and was blessed to do. And I'm always grateful for it. It really does seem like a dream job. And I think it's perceived as such. Are there any downsides of being a travel writer in your experience? Well, as I mentioned, you don't get paid a lot. That's one of the things people feel if you get to do such a nice thing that you don't have to be rewarded with with money. So you have to accept that. Many people have another job or, or they do other things on you know weekends or something like that. 
So that you have to accept. And if you do accept that, it's it's mainly just a lot of rushing. I, I'm not going to complain about it. I don't like hearing when you know, like movie stars complain about always being noticed or something like that. That sounds, you know, too bad. I don't, I'm not complaining. I think it's just a lot of uh, fast stuff. You have to have energy. You have to be quick on your feet. You have to accept, you know, changes and be open-minded. If you're not open-minded, don't do it. Cause a lot of times you're uncomfortable. Sometimes when you, when you're traveling on a job, you're not going where you would want to go. Otherwise you're, you're in a little plane with bandages on it. I was once on a plane with plane with tape. I could see the duct tape. I think it was duct tape on the wing, but what could I do? I had to go to the place I was supposed to go to. And I thought, what am I doing here? I'm a housewife from Westchester County, New York. I, I shouldn't be in the middle of the jungle on a plane with bandages on it, but you get through it and it's, it makes you an open-minded and more resourceful person, perhaps. Yeah. Okay. So tell so us about, okay, go, go ahead, Rand, go ahead. So what's the most memorable story you've written? The most memorable story. Well, I've written a lot of stories over the years. I've been around a long time. But only one can be the most memorable. Well, the one that everybody loves is very short, but it is memorable, is when I was in Malawi and I was at a I was with a press group and we were at a government function. We were talking with them about how they could improve their tourism because they have a beautiful lake there, but it's a landlocked, otherwise landlocked country, and, and they really didn't have any tourism. And, you know, we were discussing the fact that peop- there were no road signs, and I asked why, and they said, well, people take them to build their homes. So it was a very poor country. This was about 20 years ago. It still is, but it, at the time, it had very little infrastructure for travel. Anyway, I was trying to be a, a good visitor, and so they had a dance situation there, and I don't like to join in with dancing. I'm not very good, but they said, oh, come dance, come up and dance with the person on the stage. I said, oh, all right. So I went up and I followed the dancer and he would make movements with his hands and make movements with his feet. And I would follow what he did. And everybody was clapping and laughing and having a wonderful time. I thought this is unusual. I wasn't that good. So I went back down to the audience and I said, why are you clapping and laughing so much. I mean, I was just trying to do, you know, a little bit. They said, well, you two are now married. Your name is Ngunda. I said, <laughs> <laughs> I said, oh, okay. And then the bad part is he never calls and he never writes. He's terrible. Yeah. I, so that was, I mean, that's a very short story, but it's gotten a lot of attention. <laughs> You know, those, you know, well, those are the unexpected. You... It's always the unexpected, right? It's, oh uh, yeah, not the, it's not, the, it's not what's in in the itinerary. It's what happens. Exactly. Know, That's one of the most wonderful things about travel. You're very alert to everything, and there's so much that is unexpected. Much of it is great, and sometimes you get married. I think that's one of your best traits as a traveler and a travel writer is your sense of adventure, and you're always talking about the the distinction between traveling and uh, tourism um and but sometimes a sense of adventure can get you in the sticky situations like you're saying is there a least favorite place you visited uh, on that note <laughs> well I, there was a least favorite experience when we were in the pirate zone we were on a ship and we were traveling it was a fabulous what's, what's the pirate visit. zone like the, the pirate zone like, is like the barbary coast or something yeah it's or? outside of uh you know it's in Amalia. the 
Yeah, it's in in the ocean between India and East Africa. It's, it's also, like Captain Captain Roberts there. Yes, Captain Phillips. <laughs> right, Captain Phillips. Captain well, they didn't show that on the they didn't show that on the uh, screen in the cruise. But anyway, we knew we were going to have to go there. It was a fabulous. It was a trip from Dubai to Cape Town. So the itinerary was to die for, and I didn't want to literally die for. So I didn't realize that we would be in the pirate zone for two weeks. And during that time, we had to turn all our lights off and they turned the lights off on the ship, uh, you know, outside, you couldn't go out and they had pirate drills and they talked about pirates all the time and people were walking around going, arg, arg, and all that. We were trying to make fun of it, but it didn't feel so good because that very ship we were on had been assaulted, I guess, by pirates. And there was even little gunshots. You can see the holes in the ship later. We noticed that. That was probably my least favorite experience, but my favorite experience was getting out of the pirate zone. That felt great. So, yeah, it was a little exciting. I didn't realize a lot of people didn't take the trip because it was a fantastic itinerary, but they did not want that experience. But of course, I said it was worth the risk, and I think it was because there were no pirates. Right. So sometimes your most scariest trips can be also be the most satisfying. Yeah, I think so. There's always a, a yin and yang. So when you get through something, as you guys know, if you if you succeed, it's a wonderful feeling, even if it wouldn't feel so good while you're going through it. I'm not always such a risk taker. There was a volcano erupting in Iceland, and uh, we were driving around and decided to come back uh, to Reykjavik and not keep going toward the volcano was. And I think that was a good idea. I mean, some people were wanting to see it and everything, but I didn't think it was a good idea. So sometimes you just trust your God in your head. And sometimes you uh, take the chance. It's up, it's up to you. You have to trust yourself too. Is there a place on your hit list that you haven't been to that you want to get to? Oh, I'd love to see the gorillas in Rwanda or Uganda. I'm a big fan of gorillas ever since I followed Coco, you know, the wonderful gorilla who knew a thousand words and understood about 2000 words. And I followed her and just, I learned about these wonderful animals and I've always wanted to go, but it's an upland situation and the altitude is very high. I can't do it anymore. So this is a good lesson. If, if you really want something, try to do it early, prioritize it so you can get to it early when you can do it. But I go to zoos. And by the way, the Bronx Zoo is the best one for gorillas. That's pretty well known. But that would be where I'd like to go, where I would like would have liked to have gone. So this is the first anniversary of your podcast. Congratulations. Thank you. And why did you start the podcast and, and what does it entail? Well, I started it because I couldn't travel. We were all locked down and I had just recovered from a very bad case of COVID and some other medical stuff. And I was not feeling well for a while. And then I started to feel better and I realized I couldn't go anywhere. And that was really unusual. And I thought, gee, there's another way I can think about travel and enjoy it. And that's talking about it. And I have met so many wonderful people over the years. And it was a wonderful chance to reacquaint myself with them and to research and to enjoy travel in another way. And I think people have done that virtually are reading about travel, listening to podcasts and until they can travel again, they're, they're filling their travel tank with that. So I started it because I couldn't travel and I love it. I love talking about it. I find vicarious pleasure in it and uh, talking about the memories. What does it entail? Well, it's a lot of work for me. One 
episode takes me about a week's time because I have to set up the guests and so forth. And I love to research. So it's a good thing because I do a lot of research when I speak to people. And then you record and then you edit. I edit with my producer, Greg. And then after that, the part I don't like the most is marketing it because if no one knows about it, what's the point? So you have to market a lot. So it takes about a week's time for each episode, but you have to love it. And for me, it's a passion project. Some people do it to monetize. I do it because I love doing it. Best way to market is just word of mouth. And so obviously everyone listening here, you've got fans. What is it about travel that means the most to you, I guess, spiritually? I think that's probably what draws people to this podcast is, like you said, the ability, especially in the times we're in, to travel and to live just by listening. You know, what means the most to you? I think, well, learning how we're all special. We're all different, but we're all the same. Visiting history, uh, seeing history, learning from it, you know, seeing the battlefields. And if you don't go out of this country you're in, whatever country it may be, you don't get to feel the whole world. And I think when you see the beauty of the world, you see the unusual animals and their habitats, you get to be a better person because you are more open-minded and more open to the world. And I am so grateful that I have had this experience. I think it's made me a much better person for sure. It's enjoyable, of course. It's exciting. Your, your senses are very cute, but mainly you become a better person. That's what I think. On that vein, it's like um, staying on this sort of philosophical aspect to travel. I mean, you've been to so many countries, seen so many different people, had so many different experiences. Is there a unifying quality that encompasses these diverse experiences? Well, I think we have to be tolerant and open-minded and appreciative of everyone. We're all special, every single one of us. And the more you travel, the more you realize it from the poorest person in a village who, as I spoke about in another episode, who was a poet. She, she brought beautiful poetry to me and you would never know. It's just, it makes you realize that we are all special. It, as I said before, it opens your mind My wish would be that everyone could get out of their own country for a little while, at least, to see that. I think we'd be a much more peaceful world if we were able all to do that and to understand that we are all similar. We all have dreams and we all have love. I think in, you know, difficult times, it helps to remember that, that we are all special. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's why your your podcast is so successful because you're not just you're expanding the notion of what travel is and, and you're and you're contextualizing it through uh, humanity. You know, it's not just about uh, visiting the Wailing Wall. It's about the significance of humanity and um, and how does the Wailing Wall fit into that? Right. So that's that's what makes your podcast so special. Well, thank you. You're 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 a little bit on my side there, but thank you. I think you get re- <laughs> refreshment. I'm biased. You're biased. But you get refreshment, you get enlightenment, you get enjoyment. What's not to like? Come on. Well, well, then then you know the name of the podcast, you know, it's places I remember. What's you mentioned a you mentioned a a experience, but what's a place? What's the most special place that you remember? Well, it's very hard, but I, I one of them was the Galapagos Islands, because you see creatures there you've never seen anywhere else. They all are getting along in, you know, their own 
capacity. It's their world. You are a visitor. You have to be very quiet and come into their world, similar to Antarctica. Same thing where you come into a place where you are not the main thing. You are a visitor and you feel it. You feel the grandeur of the world. It isn't just about the people. It's also about the creatures of the world. And I feel when I go to those places, I feel the most humble, the most grateful, and the most blessed that I'm able to be here to do this. And I hope people can try to go to places where there are animals in their environments. It's just mind-blowing. And I recommend that as a wonderful family trip. We'll go back to family if you can bring young people and see that. It's a wonderful thing to see at an early age. So I think memorable would be my trips with animals. Anyway, our one-year anniversary episode was fun. I want to thank you my sons, Randall and Carrie Lane, for not only this interview, but for being men who are doing good in the world with open minds and hearts. So I'm proud of both of you. Congratulations. Thank you. I love you. And I hope you get to travel. Yeah, I hope you get to travel at least as long as I've been traveling in your life. In a hundred countries, that's the goal. If you could do it, we could do it. Okay. Thanks for listening to our award-winning podcast. We've recorded over 100 episodes of Places I Remember, so follow us on any podcast app. And new monthly episodes are also on YouTube with gorgeous video. My book, Places I Remember, is available in print and Kindle, and I read the audio version. Follow my travel writing at Forbes.com. Contact me at the links in the show notes or on my website, placesiremembereleahlane.com, and keep making your own travel memories.